Today on Inside the Ropes, an incredibly special interview with not only Jed Morgan, but his new mentor from the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, Ricky Ponting. That plus we chat with Gary Thomas, the boss of Golf WA, before the WA Open this week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 185. Lovely to be back, having left it into the very safe hands of the Hayes-Blake combination for the last fortnight. Uh, Lovely to be back on it. A really interesting show, Ricky Ponting and Jed Morgan amongst a couple of others, Gary Thomas, to tell us about golf out in the West. But um, I'm looking forward to the, the, the chat that's going to take place, Hazy, between us, of course, but Messrs. Ponting and, and Morgan. This is going to be a bit of fun, the thing that we're talking to about those two, and pretty significant too, I reckon. Yeah, very significant. And welcome back. Um, there was a bit of selection pressure on you because Blakey had done uh, very, very well, but solid this uh, weight of performance history sort of played in your favour and you're back <laughs> right. in the team. So, uh, yes, uh, it's very interesting uh, topic of conversation. We'll 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 announce why in a couple of minutes. But mm. um, you know, to to for you and I to have the chance to be there when um, a young fella meets a hero, I think is pretty special. So, can't wait to talk to him. So it's under the auspices of Sports Australia and the Hall of Fame Committee who, who do a whole lot of great work other than just, you know, induct people into the Hall of Fame and hand out awards. They do much more than that. They're very invested in um, encouraging, you know, future waves of Australian um, sporting legends um, on, their, on their paths towards that. And they've got a mentor scheme and... I wouldn't say that I'm great mates with Ricky. I wouldn't say that I know him very well, but I've had the good fortune of working with him for quite some time in in cricket. And what I do know of him is an incredibly private man, and he doesn't give his time away. Um, he doesn't give his time away easily. It's something that he does um, hold on to pretty um, carefully. But he's going to be doing something pretty special with Jed Morgan, which we'll talk about a bit later on from a mentoring type scheme and. Um, it's um, Jed's lucky to have him in his corner, but it's a, it's a terrific thing the Ponting's doing. So, look, we'll have a chat about all of that a little bit later on. Um, as, I, as we said, Gary Thomas is going to join us to talk about the PGA and the Open upcoming over in WA. But again, Hazy, the week that was in the world of golf, um, it, there, there just seems to be this this fulcrum at the moment, and it's it's Bryson DeChambeau and his his believers and. Whether they're the modern Easters who can see a future of the game that, that we can't and others can't, um, time only will tell on this one. But there's, it feels like there's this civil war going on now in golf and you're in one camp or you're in the other. And now we're starting to see a, a fracturing between the players. Matt Fitzpatrick's had some stuff to say about um, DeChambeau this weekend, DeChambeau's hit back, Gary Play's got involved, there's people all over the place that are weighing into this and for, for the life of me, I can't see the end point here. I don't know where the line is going to be drawn on this, that the game comes to a consensus. I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I'm sort of, I'm at a bit of a loss now when it comes to all this stuff. Yeah, it's a really good point. I intend to get Scott Michaud from Augusta, um, of Augusta Chronicle fame, on to talk about the upcoming Masters in the, in the coming weeks, Andy. And I think it'll be really interesting to get his feel 
about what the Augusta National Committee would do about the the repeated rumours now of a control ball uh, for the Masters. Um, we see Bryson DeChambeau uh, willingly practising with a 48-inch, the maximum length limited driver, uh, and rumours have it that he's going to be hitting the ball in excess or around 400 yards, um, which will uh, have him hitting very short irons, in some cases nine irons and wedges to the par fives at Augusta National. So um, talk has it that if people have accurately seen him on the range, he'll be able to whip one with a little draw, if he can do it properly, over the hill and past the bunker on the right there on the second hole and let it run all the way down to the bottom of the hill and he'll have a flick wedge in for for the par five where only a handful of years ago, we remember Louis Eustazen playing one of the great shots in golf history, uh, running that four iron in from 230-odd yards from memory. Um, you know, it's a hell of a lot different trying to sink a four iron than it is um, with a 56-degree wedge in your hand. So this is going to split the game, um, no doubt about that. It's We've said it 100 times. I, I personally said it 100 times on this podcast. It's up to the powers that be to act. It's not... Mm. You know, if if we see it as a problem, then act. If not, then it's a free for all, and the history of golf will be um, left behind because you cannot compare. Even though you might say Augusta National is a par seventy two course, if Bryson DeChambeau is hitting nine irons into par fives, it's clearly a par sixty eight at best. Um, suddenly, you know, fifty eight, fifty nine are, are on the cards as scores there. So you know, it, it diminishes the whole history of golf from my perspective. Um, again, not potting Bryson. Don't want to be no, seen. No, no, it's not Bryson. about that. No, and I don't think, to be that. honest, I don't think Matt Fitzpatrick uh, was was lashing him on a personal front. He's just he saying wasn't. that. No, he's just saying, as most of us are, it's clearly time to do something. Um, and the only place that really has the, uh, I guess the the want to do something urgently could potentially, in my eyes, be Augusta National. Um, mm. time, time's going to tell on this because while the RNA and USGA are talking about it, there's a lot of water running under the bridge and that water's taking Bryson's ball further and further along the fairways. So yeah, uh, yep. it's yep. extraordinary. So, so here's what Fitzpatrick said. He said, it's not a skill to hit the ball a long way, in my opinion. I could put on 40 pounds. I could go and see a biomechanist. I could gain 40 yards. That's actually a fact. I could put another two inches on the driver. I could gain that. But the skill, in my opinion, is to hit the ball straight. That's the skill. He's just taking the skill skill out of it, in my opinion. I'm sure lots will disagree. It's just daft. Now, Bryson responded by saying that, you know, there is skill to it, um, you know, that we're finding an advantage by hitting it long. Others are doing it as well. You know, Rory's doing it. DJ's doing it, who, by the way, has tested positive to coronavirus uh, today we're recording this on Wednesday morning, so that's how unsafe it is in America. The, the the best American golfer on the planet is not safe from COVID-19, so he's tested positive, which means he'll have a hiatus for a week or two away from um, tour responsibilities, just as an aside to all of that. But um, it was there was a bit of smarm, there was a, it, it dressed up as charm by Bryson in his response to um, Fitzpatrick. And there is a skill. There is some skill to hitting the ball 400 yards down a, oh. a dog leg fairway and shaping it. There's no question about it that there is a skill involved in all of that. 
massive skill. Not every if every, if, every, if, if if there was no skill involved, then everybody would be doing it. But we need to protect, as you said, you know the, the way the courses are meant to be played. Um, and Gary plays weighed into this this week with a really interesting observation. I, I know you're aware of it. I wonder what your thoughts are. Um, Rui, what players had to say and, and his assessment of the golf ball this week. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because we, we'll talk a little later on about the, the women's uh, PGA Championship. Uh, Gary Player made an appearance there at Aronimink, which is that was the host course this week or last week, and where he won the 1962 PGA Championship, the US hmm. PGA. So uh, that's why he was invited back and, and the conversation headed towards this, as you say, this fulcrum that's attracting everything in golf around Bryson DeChambeau and he'd recently to- he told a story that he'd recently played a game of golf with I think Justin Tuck anyway a former NFL player who said a, a physical beast you know just a um, lovely bloke not trained for golf but the capacity to smash the ball was off the charts to Gary Player's eyes anyway uh, what transpired here was that Player projected a day very soon when people who were LeBron James size but trained for golf specifically would soon be hitting the ball 500 yards. Yeah. Uh, and he just said, if it's, it's actually just um, the way things are progressing. It's, it's the next natural step that we'll see people hitting the ball upwards of or towards 500 yards. And it's really hard to argue that, that won't be the case. His argument was that you should, all the balls are basically the same um, the, you know that you know there's a few minor technical dif- yeah, difficult, of uh, differences, yeah. of course. But he said he's in his opinion, you know, if they had a control ball, you're not really ripping people who are playing tightless off or tailor made off or whatever it is. Uh, so the ball sale should still be the same. It's just that we need to rein it in for the pro game. I did see Andy just one off the from the boonies here. Ian <laughs> Poulter put out a great thing during the week on social media. I'm not sure if you saw that, but. Uh, he was saying that his solution would be to uh, make a minimum loft on the driver. So instead of having four degrees or five degrees, his minimum loft might be nine degrees and it would um, circumvent the spin characteristics of the of the modern ball. So mm. they're all starting to talk about it. Where we get to, I don't know. But I think the it's, to my mind, it's the USGA and the RNA that it's, it's in their hands because the tour is not going to do anything ever no. To come down against their players. No, the players, this is not going to be player-led. This will not be. They're not going to form a, 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 a collective voice that will shape this. They need to be told. And you know what? They'll get on with it. They, there's still going to be a choice to be made. If, if the furthest you can hit... Well, sorry. If the golf ball goes the same distance... If it, sorry. If every golf ball goes the same distance, but they all go 50 yards less... There's still going to be decisions needing to be made by players. Do you take an iron? Do you take a three-wood? Do you take a driver? Do you cut a corner? Do you do this? You're still going to have to um, make a choice. And distance will still be a factor. But it will just mean that the golf courses that we're um, playing on will have some protection against uh, the gargantuan distances that these blokes are able to hit it. And they can hit it so high now as well. That's the point that, you know, that, often gets overlooked. It's not only how far they but they hit it so high that if there are grown-in protections, i.e. big trees, um, 
they just hit it over them. They don't even see them anymore. They see the end point and they go, right, how, how do I get there? Well, I hit it. I've got to get it, you know, an, an apex height of whatever it is. And they work out a way of doing it. And it's, it's just the way they're playing these days. It's a different, completely different game. Um, and it continues to be a, a talking point. And we feel like, I feel like we're getting to this point, but getting back to where we started, I've got no confidence that in our time sitting here talking about the game on this podcast, this radio show, that we're going to see a resolution, Hazy. I'm hopeful, but I'm not confident we're ever going to get there. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I just... There's so many things at play that we can't understand. We There's no way that we can know everything, Andy, because on face value, it's an easy solution. So there must be some things that we don't know about in the mm. background. And it, yeah. You know, it, by not acting, money, it brings doesn't it in just questions come back to money? money and yeah, yeah. things in money and finances and law, legal actions and all mm. this sort of stuff. Because, um, you know, I, you keep going, I keep harking to Augusta. And again, I can't wait to talk to Scott Michaud in a couple of weeks' time. But I just, you, you, you can't help your mind because we know those ho- holes so well to think about the 13th tee. Because mm. yep. it's gone back, a, you know, a long way compared to where it once was. Um, and you just see, as, as it goes back, um, you think, oh, well, that's going to make it play the traditional way where you've got a, um, a three wood or a, or a seven iron for a layup for your second shot and you've got a distinct choice to make. Well, now mm-hmm. Bryson's just going to go bang. Dustin Johnson's going to go bang, hit it over those trees. They're not even there, as you say. No, um, it's no. no longer a fair fight. Um, so, I mean, I would love to see people like Eddie Pepperell um, who don't hit the ball that distance and can't beat those guys on those courses to stand up. Not that he doesn't, but stand up and really have a crack because otherwise, what have we got, really? Yeah. So, Gary Thomas is about to join us. So, we probably need to park a bit of stuff for later on the show. Just one other thing that we should talk about before we get to Ricky Ponting and Jed Morgan. The, the, the hoodie... Funeral, and and it's been. This has been. You, you you talk about kind of crazy stuff that we get obsessed by and sidetracked by, but um, Tyrrell Hatton's hoodie that he wore at Wentworth to win the PJ Championship has actually become an issue. It's become an issue. I never, I never really uh, planned a rant here, Andy. But fair dinkum, if anyone thinks that's a viable discussion in modern golf get off the porch now like just get we're done with you we're done with you because your instincts about tradition are going to kill the game you watch what watch what happens in the nba or the nfl or you know premier league soccer or you know Premier league or whatever it is you watch watch what they all do on and off the field and watch what the kids do to react and how they react and we're sitting here talking about whether a bloke can wear a hoodie on a golf course when it's, you know, frigid in southern yep. England. Yep. Jesus, can you believe this, Andy? What a, what a waste of bandwidth of column centimetres of hot air for anyone to be rabbiting on about this issue. Let them wear whatever they want so the oh, kids mate. want to come to golf. Oh, it's no. really, really oh. simple. It is easy. I agree with you. There's no point us having even a conversation about it. Our positions are clear. All I can say, oh, I'm hopeful about this. I remember when I was a junior member um, at Commonwealth Golf Club 150,000 years ago, I had an old bloke walk across a fairway from, from an adjoining fairway 
He walked across the fairway because my long knee-high socks that we were forced to wear, the only place in the world you wear them are on a golf course, but you weren't allowed on unless you wore them. He, he stopped playing his round and walked across the fairway to tell me to pull my socks up. Pull your socks up, right? Now, this Literally would have been in 19. Hey, yeah, yeah. Literally pull them up. Figuratively. Get off the course if you're not going to wear the... Literally. Um, and so I did. It would have been 1982 or three, I'm guessing. Thankfully, those days are gone, right? So, so we've evolved. We've all, some golf clubs still make sure if you're going to wear the short white socks, some don't let you wear the ankle cut ones still, which is ridiculous. Some think that if you're going to wear short white socks, it can't have logos on them other than the logo of the golf club that you're playing at, which is that. So, so, we, so we've come some way. But the evolution of the long white socks, that took, mate, that took 20 years, oh, 10 years, 15 years since I went from, from the moment I became a member of a golf club. That was in vogue for a long time. And mates of mine who weren't members, they're looking at me going, you've got to be joking. I'd say, do you want to come and have a game? We're playing on a 32-degree day. And they're saying, and I said, oh, you're going to have long socks. What? You're going to have long socks, boys. You're going to have, yeah, you're going to have long socks, boys. And I'm like, they're thinking, no, alien. mate, we'll go and play somewhere else. Yeah, you just alienate, you know, of course your, you do. your next market. And, and the thing... For the people, I understand traditions. I understand you want to maintain something that's happened around a club for a long time as a, um, you know, a point of difference or a, you know, an o- a marker to the history of the club or the game or whatever. Mm, mm, yep. The reality is, though, when your generation's gone from membership, not off the planet, but just from membership and an ability to um, oversee what happens at that club, Will you have turned away the next two or three generations by your actions? And if the answer is yes, you're actually killing golf. It's yep. as simple as that. You are. You're putting up the stop sign. Not not welcome. Do not enter. Stay away. That's what that's what you're, you're putting, saying to people. You're, yep. you're putting your own values and, and yep. desires ahead of the bigger game. And yep. you know, in this year, if all years, Andy, that's just not on. Not on. Okay, uh, Ricky Ponting, Jed Morgan, uh, Sports Australia Hall of Fame mentor scheme. We're going to tell you about this uh, with those two gentlemen on the other side of the break. Uh, Gary Thomas from WA Golf, not too far away from joining us. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. We're lucky to be part of something last night, Hazy. We had to record it given where Ricky Ponting finds himself in the world at the moment, knee-deep in his um, duties as... Coach of the Delhi Capitals in the IPL. So we had to um, bring people from Queensland, Melbourne, Sydney and Dubai together. So latest last night, we all caught up. And um, through the under the auspices of Sport Australia, we're, we're about to um, share the conversation that took place ostensibly between us and Ricky Ponty and Jed Morgan in a moment. But just lay the foundations for this, Hazy, what, what Sport Australia are doing uh, by bringing these people together. Yes, Sport Australia Hall of Fame, Andy, has been doing this for uh, for 15 years. It was first mooted in 2006. And Jed Morgan, I'm really thrilled to be able to, to share with everyone here now, is the first golfer to ever be awarded a Tier 1 scholarship from the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. So everyone associates and probably remembers the Sport Australia Hall of Fame annually for the induction of you know yep. the, the heroes of Australian sport at the upper echelon and some of the names, um, as, as we asked Ricky about, 
uh, uh, just off the charts. Like it's the who's who of Australian sport. It's amazing what the Sport Australia Hall of Fame is every year when they have the, the function this year, the function, unfortunately, unable to be had as normal. Obviously, we all know why. Um, but one of the things that Sport Australia Hall of Fame does, Andy, that not everyone knows about is uh, investing in the next uh, era of sport. So there's, uh, the, I think the criteria is 21 and under. Um, and if, if you're in the, as it's turned out here, there are um, six athletes this year who get a tier one scholarship, $10,000. But more importantly, particularly for our purpose here, is that Jed Morgan's the first golfer to win it and his mentor, they all get a mentor who's, a, who's one of the inductees into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And he was lucky enough to um, be offered and rushed to accept Ricky Ponting as his mentor. So how, it's just a phenomenal thing, I reckon. It is. So with the help of Bonnie Elliott from Sport Australia, we caught up with um, Jed and Ricky last night. Uh, and as I said, with the help of Bonnie, we put the two together. Jed, I just wanted to formally congratulate you on your selection as a Tier 1 scholarship holder as part of our scholarship and mentoring program. Um, and a huge thank you to Ricky for um, donating his time and expertise uh, to be your mentor for the next year and a bit and hopefully a lifetime. Uh, normally this would happen face to face, but given the current circumstances, we're doing it all virtually. And hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll be able to get you guys um, a little, you know, face to face meet and greet um, and get you around on the golf course as well. So Sounds congratulations, good. Jed. Um, and thank, thank you, Ricky. And um, I'm pleased to formally introduce you both. It's magnificent. And uh, thanks for allowing us to be part of it here on Inside the Rose Bunny. It's, it's, it's a great thing to be part of. We've, we've known about Jed for a while and he's been good enough to um, uh, allow us to be part of his journey to where he is right now. And of course, everybody knows the other bloke, uh, everyone in, in Australian sport knows who he is. So Jed and Ricky, have you two actually met each other before? Nah. No, I've never met. Oh, actually, I have met Ricky once. He probably wouldn't remember just because of the fact there were so many kids there. But we did this thing at Brookwater one time when he was recruiting, like, this college thing. I can't remember. Um, and, yeah, I met him there once. Um, but that's about it. How old were you? I think I was 14 at the time. Right. Rick, have a look at Jed Morgan now. He probably had a longer hair back then when you met him, but... Stare into his eyes. Can you? Does he? Is there any flicker of recognition there at all? <laughs> um, I'm going to say no, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember. The, I do remember the clinics that we put on. It was uh, like a sort of a talent identification sort of business that I was involved in with, with getting actually getting awarding scholarships to to young Australian sports people to go over to uh, over the states. So, um, but one thing I would probably would identify is if I actually got to see his golf swing again, I reckon I'd, uh, I'd recognise that pretty quickly. So, this should come, Jed, I'm sure you must be unbelievably excited. And at the end of this, if there's anything you want to say, I'll get you to, I'll give you the opportunity to say it. But this should come with a bit of a, a bit of a disclaimer and a bit of a warning for you more than for Rick. I've had the fortune, the good fortune of playing a couple of rounds of golf with him, not that many, but a couple. Jed, you have never met a bigger golf nuffy in your life. You will think that you're gonna he's you, he's gonna be mentoring you. He will be asking you questions about lie angles, about about uh, shaft stiffness, about grip width, about head weight, about ball compression. You you think you know something about the game of golf? 
stand by, mate, because this bloke's going to be hammering you about that stuff. Well, well I, I, actually, I actually entered into this thinking that Jeb was going to mentor me. <laughs> no, I said that to um, Bonnie when I, because I really had um, no idea of who was in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. So I put down, I think I put down Darren Lockyer, Steve Hooker, and Glenn McGrath, the three that I put down, just purely because they were the first sort of three that I'd scrolled past that I actually knew was in there. And she came back and she said, Ricky, and I was like, you're kidding. That'd be bloody <laughs> awesome. And um, well, yeah, as awesome. I said, you, you might you might think you're uh, lucky getting me, but the names you brought up there, you're very very lucky that you didn't get Glenn McGrath because you don't want to have a fast bowler trying to mentor you on anything in life, mate. That's pretty- <laughs> yeah, as I said, I just had no idea and I just threw it down. Um, and yeah, it was awesome that she came back with that option of you. So, Ricky, take us back to the early days for you when you're coming up through, you know, Lonnie and Mowbray and you're playing your early sort of um, getting into higher level competitive stuff. Can you remember um, a mentor that you had early in your career at any level that you can remember and how sort of significant that that was for you? Yeah, I, like I can. I, I, you know, I was, I was lucky to be brought up in a, you know, really good club, really good, strong club background, uh, as you talk about there about the Mowbray Career Club and, you know, that, I just, I grew up there, you know, I, there's well, well told stories of me jumping on my BMX as a seven or eight, nine year old and basically riding all over Northern Tasmania to find where the, the A grade team was playing that day. And I, you know, I'd make sure I was the first one there. I'd sit in the corner of the change rooms all day, just listening to these guys talk about playing, uh, playing the game of cricket. And then I'd jump on my bike at 6.30 at night and ride back home again. So that was generally what my weekend was all about. But there was one guy in particular there, a guy called Ian Young, who was the, the, the head curator at the NTCA ground, which is where they played all the state games there. He was um, Sean Young's father. Sean Young, I played a lot of cricket with for Tassie and ended up playing one test match for Australia as well. And he he just looked after me like I was his own son, to be honest. He gave me my first ever sort of job, with, which was running the scoreboard at the NTCA ground when the Shield games run. I think I, was, I, think I got $20 a day, I think, to run the, the whole scoreboard at the NTCA ground. But um, he was from another club. He was from the South Launceston Cricket Club. And then when I was coming through Mowbray, he, he actually came over to Mowbray to, to coach our club. But I think as much as anything was to, to look after me. And, and, uh, and he did, a, did an amazing job. As I said, he looked after me, pointed me in the right direction. And, and most days after work, he'd turn up in his Blunston boots and his, his, his work shirt rolled up and bowl at me for about half an hour in the nets every afternoon. So, um, look, he was, he was awesome for me. And, and that's where I think, you know, this program, to have a... A program like this that um, the Sports Australia Hall of Fame put on um, is just an amazing opportunity for a lot of, you know, Australia's best young sporting talents. Picking up from um, from that experience as a kid sitting in the rooms watching these, you know, A grade cricketers prepare back in those days. How much of um, the lessons that you took out of that were not not how to bat, but how to be a member of a team and how to prepare and the language of sport and the how much of that was what you took away from those experiences? Yeah, look, I've always said, Mari, about about me. Look, I'm I'm not a great talker. I'm not a great communicator as such, but I'm a very good listener. Like I've I've always been good at being able to sit down, you know, if it's someone else's conversation or a conversation on cricket or sport or whatever it might be, but be able to sort of pick a pick apart the things that I think are important to me and and work with those things. So if I think back to those days as a you know, eight or nine-year-old, it wasn't... I mean, it, a lot of it was about, you know, the techniques of batting and things like that, but, but it was it was more about, um, 
just the overall game and how they played the game and um, you know how they were going, how they were approaching playing the opposition team and what what uh, you know if it was at the lunch break, what they needed to do you know in the first half an hour after the lunch break mm-hmm. to get the game going back in their way and things like that. So absolutely, I mean, I, and the thing about the thing about me with my career as it you know as a younger bloke was I was always the youngest player in any team that I was in. You know, if it was an under seventeen team, I was thirteen. If it was an A grade team, I was fourteen and. So I was, it wasn't like I was, I was one of the more senior guys that had a lot to say. It was just about sitting back and listening and learning. And, um, you know, to this day, it's still, you know, still what I do, even as a, even as a coach now, even, you know, as a 45 year old man, that's coaching a lot of younger guys, I just, I'm sitting back continually listening to what they're talking about, because if I can pick up, you know, one little thing that maybe I'm not doing so well, or the team's not doing so well, then, you know, I can feel that I can, I can teach that to others. So um, yeah, it's certainly a huge part of what I've, sort of picked up through my time has been not only what I've seen, but definitely what I've heard. So Jed, listening to that from Rick, and he's talking about the team environment as a cricketer. Yeah. Um, does any of that ring true to any of your golf club experiences? Like Ricky's grown up in a cricket environment. You've grown up at golf clubs. Does yeah. any of that sound familiar to you? Uh, it, it does in a way. Golf's, I'm sure Ricky would agree, but golf's obviously so individual. Um, and it, even around golf clubs, you're still, it's still quite individual because you're still doing your own practice most of the time and all that. But I think one thing that I try and do when I'm at my golf clubs um, is just cr- try and create a team environment because I grew up playing pretty much every sport from, yeah, from cricket to rugby league to union to tennis to anything team or individual regardless of what it was so and I really miss the team aspect of that like sport growing up because it's just so much funner like it's it's awesome when you have a team there and you feed off everyone's energy I'm someone who has a personality who can like become very excited but every now and then become a little bit too upset for what's going on I think and one thing that team environments create for you is just a, an awesome energy, whether you're up or you're down, you sort of just all go for each other, really. Um, but what I was going to ask while you're explaining that, Rick, was like with golf, I think there's two types of personalities that work well. And you've either got to be highly intelligent, I think, with what you're doing or the opposite to the spectrum being quite dumb. Would you say, what would you say you are in relation to cricket? Um, oh, look, I'm, I'm no rocket scientist, put it that way, but um, I think I've always had the ability to sort of keep things, um, you know, pretty simple and, yeah. um, you know, break break the things down that I know that are going to be important to me and, and, and continually work on those things, but always exploring other other ways to try and get better. I think, um, you know, and that comes through experience and it comes with quite often as well playing with, with other guys that you might think are, are better players than you at the time and trying to, to, to analyse what they do and learn from them and then sort of try and mould that into something you think is going to work in your own game. So, um, you know, I, I once I got into the sort of the middle part of my career and I had pretty much had, um, you know, all my preparation and everything um, down pat, it was it was really then just sticking to a lot of pretty simple things that I knew were working for me. And, and if, if I did those things as well as I could, then I knew I was going to have success. So, um yeah, that's that's where it got to. But as I said, it was a long time in the in the making. I was I was always tinkering with things as a young bloke, you know, with, with technical things on my stance, on my grip, or bat weights yeah. and things. like that. Always trying to find something 
that was going to work. But once I once I eventually found that, which probably probably was, you know, 30, maybe even 20, 30, 40 tests into my career, you know, some sort of into my mid-20s before I found something that I felt was was going to work and was going to make me a consistent international player. And once I found that, I stuck with that, um, you know, right until the end. And, um, yeah, and thankfully it worked. You know, it kept my performance at quite a high standard over a long period of time, which is, which is what I was after. How did you deal with a lot of, I guess, I mean, I'm probably going to ask this question at the end, but um, the criticism, because cricketers and Australian cricket cops a lot from the nation. When you guys are up, everyone's up with you. When you guys are art playing as well, everyone's hammering you. It's like the media is just India's, and, um, which I think is wrong most of the time, but that's just how it works, obviously. But how do you guys, how do you felt when you were captain and you were copying a lot of, I guess, that scrutiny, were able to achieve that, like achieve success again after that? Because that's my, it's a pretty fascinating thing for me of how people can be hammered like that and then all of a sudden outperform them to a T. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's ways that different people deal with those things. You know, like for me, yeah. It never, it never worried me. You know, it didn't phase me at all. It didn't, it didn't worry me if they were saying good things about me or about the team, or it didn't, but you know, I was saying bad things about the team either. Because um, one thing I know in life, mate, is you, you can't keep everybody happy all the time. And um, mm. you know, as, as a player in the Australian team or as a captain of the Australian team, the important thing was making sure that I was keeping the players happy and everyone that was close to me as happy as I could. And um, you know, as long as I was doing that, then you know, it didn't really matter what anyone else was sort of saying about us, you know, and, yeah. and Mario probably, Mario probably back this up, you know, when I, when I was, when I was a captain of the team, you know, I, I didn't give too much away to the media either. You know, I, I like to, I like to keep things pretty tight about myself and, and, and pr things that were happening around the team. I was, I, I didn't give much away about that. Cause I thought there was a, you know, a real certain mystique around the Australian cricket team that, that not many people needed to know about. That's certainly how I felt about it then. And, yeah. you know, I felt, Captain and one of the senior guys, I was I was sort of the guardian of that, and I was the guardian of, of a lot of the younger guys. So I was always trying to shelter them from, you know, from the media as much as anything. But yeah, um, you know, so I think you know, other people other people will use it to motivate them and spur them on. You know, you know, certain people, even someone like a Steve Waugh would, you know, if something negative was written about him, then it was basically yeah, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll shove it up here tomorrow, sort of thing. Whereas his brother was the opposite. If it, if there was anything that was ever negative said about Mark, then he sort of would curl up in a ball and try and sort of run away from it. So different yeah. personalities, different ways. What's the go? I'm not sure if you've had much to do with um, the whole scandal that went on with the Australian team there uh, when Steve Smith was captain and how he was able to come back so strongly and bat like an animal, really. Like, just yeah. ridiculous uh, about what he was able to do. Like, that's one of the greatest sporting things I've ever um, witnessed in any sport. And that, like, just to be able to come back like that and bat the way he did, but most guys would be done pretty much because of that. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, they're both the same, to be honest. I mean, David Warner probably bounced back, you know, equally as strongly. He didn't in the yeah, Ashes exactly. series. He's back, but certainly his series in Australia last year was probably the best that David Warner's ever played. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that there and then, that's just being able to compartmentalise, you know, what's happening outside on the cricket field. And when you get back out on the, on the cricket field, it's just all about finding a way to... To, to bat well and have success and that's you know that's one of the things that that you're gonna have to deal with as well mate is there's going to be a lot of a lot of people wanting to talk to you and do things with you away from the golf course um 
but you've got to work out a way to, to, to deal with that stuff off the course. And then when you get on the course to, to completely switch on back into the game mode, put your game face on and, and forget about everything that's happening externally and just worry about the next shot. And that's all that, you know, that's all that Steve Smith has, has ever been good at. You know, he's, his ability to bat for long periods periods of time and, and basically not make a single mistake is what's sort of, um, I think, distance him, put a distance between him and pretty much the rest of the, the batsmen around the world. His, his, his mindset and his belief in his own game is just, uh, he, you know, he's taken that to another level over the last four or five years. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Ricky, um, given, let's just, let's just pretend that the world's normal for a little while here. How many rounds of golf do you reckon you might get in with Jed in the next year? <laughs> um, he's, he's obviously living in Queensland, isn't he? Still, so I might have to get him to move to Melbourne. And if he's in Melbourne, it'd be probably it'd be a couple of times a week, I reckon, from there. But, <laughs> but hey, Hazy, I, mate, Hazy, I'm just hoping that we actually get back on the golf course at some stage <laughs> soon in, in Victoria. I'm over here in, I'm in Dubai now. Um, we've had pretty strict restrictions on us as well. It's only been sort of the last week and a half that we've been able to get outside of our hotel at all here. So I've actually had. I've had four games of golf, I think, in the last week and a half. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm cramming over here, trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> what are the courses like where, where you are? We're only allowed, we're only allowed on, on the one because of, we're not allowed to mix with anyone in the general public, obviously. So um, yeah, there's only the one course that we've been allowed on and we've got to have, you know, we've got to have, I think, 15 minutes either side of our tee times and things like that. We've got to turn up on the bus, basically get straight into our own golf cart, basically go straight to the first tee and, and away we go. So, um, yeah, hopefully over the next, we're here for about another month, hopefully. So hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we might be able to access a couple more of the, because there, there are some amazing golf courses here in, uh, in Dubai. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rick, in, in all the your travels around the world and, you know, deep in the cricket world, obviously, you, you've, you, you play a lot of golf and you spend a lot of time with golfers as well on the way through and particularly lately. What is it about the golfer's mentality and the golfer's um, approach to his sport or her sport that you really are, are, draw, are drawn to that's a bit different from um, the, the, the cricketers that you've, you've become accustomed to? Oh, look, I think, I think the obvious thing, Murray, and, and Jed mentioned it already, is that, you know, in the sports that I've always played, there's always been team sports. So, you know, regardless of you, if you have a bad day yourself, you can still have a good day as a team. That's obviously mm. the, the exact opposite in golf. You know, it's all about you. Every, every great shot you play or every poor, poor shot you play all comes down to you. And it's just, it's just you and your, your caddy out there against, you know, another 150 players on that day. So um, that's, where I, that's where I think, golf and, and in particular for, for youngsters that, you know, and I've had a fair bit to do with some guys that young, good young Australian players that have, you know, gone to Asia to play or gone to Europe to play and they're traveling by themselves. And, you know, that, that side of it, you know, the, being away by yourself without a big team around you, I, I can imagine that to be, to be really difficult. And um, I think for that, that's probably, I would see anyway, it's probably the hardest thing that, that Jed's probably going to face certainly in the early part of his career is, you know, packing up, going away with just your caddy, being away from your family for a long time and, and on the road. Mm. And, um, you know, we do it for three or four months at a time on a cricket tour, but we've, we've got, you know, 14 or 15 of our mates around us the whole time, which makes, you know, can make life that little bit easier. But um, I think, the, you know, the mindset side of it, uh, it, you know, it's, I guess it's golf and batting is probably not that dissimilar. I mean, when you're, when you're, out, there, when you're out there batting, it's, it is just you in that contest against the bowler. Um, if you break it down and make it as simple as you can, you know, that's what I've always said. The, the, the thing I miss the most about the game now is 
you know, turning up with my bat and there's a bowler standing at the end of his mark with a ball and it's right, you know, you've got your ball, let's see if you, let's see if, um, you can beat me today. And that's, you know, that's sort of how I broke it down. I guess on the golf course, it's, a, it's the same thing, isn't it? You've got your, you got your set, of, set of clubs, you've got, a, you've got a ball and you've got a course that's out there waiting for you and you've got to do whatever you can to go out and beat, beat it on any, on any given day. So, yeah. Jed, you, you follow up on this, Jed. Rick, Rick, the word selfish, you know, has negative connotations, but when you talk about golf, I reckon you probably need to have a healthy dose of selfish, selfishness about you if you want to be, you know, a high-achieving high professional golfer in a really competitive sport. Is that is that fair? Is that the right word? Or is, is, there, a, is there a better way of kind of laying that out? I mean, I think it's the right word. I think competitive probably is a bit better of a word just because the word selfish is... But in a way, you do have to be selfish and focused on yourself, um, which is sometimes something that I really struggle with because I just enjoy being around people and having a laugh and not really focusing too much on myself because you learn a lot of the darker things you have, obviously, within yourself. <laughs> um, so when I'm around people, none of that shit like, even pops up, um, but obviously when you get by yourself on the golf course is when it begins to um, be, begins to pop up. And I've, I've obviously proven that I can handle it and come out the other side of that. But um, yeah, you've just got to have that sense of, yeah, I, I would say Andy selfish would be the, a good word there. So Ricky, how long does it take you? And again, it's a bit different for cricketers than it is for golfers because you are traveling with, your mates, a team and support staff, but you're still taking yourself away from home a lot. You're away from your family a lot. You know, your, your home base a lot. How hard is that to get used to and, and learn how to deal with that? Um, oh, look, as a young bloke, I think if you're in a, a state cricket team or an Australian cricket team as a young bloke, it's it's a lot of fun early on, you know, to be away from it with your mates, as I said, 14 or 15 of your mates for a few months at a time. And in, you know, if you're in the Caribbean or you're in the UK, you're in New Zealand, places like that, touring around. I mean, that can that can be a lot of fun. But quite often, the, well, not quite often, but I think the older you get, and when a lot of things sort of change in your life, with you know, with with uh, relationships and, and kids and families and things come along, then that's when it starts getting, you know, a lot harder. Um, you know, just going back to that point that you're talking about with Jed, then about the, that selfish side of things as well, Mari. I think, you know, there's just, just there's a time and a place for all that. You know, you don't you don't have to be you know, and you, and you can't be, you can't be an animal, like a selfish animal that's so focused on, on batting or so focused on the next shot you're going to play at golf all the time. You need, yeah. you know, you need your own things and your own time to get away as well. You, you know, I've always felt that, you know, my love of golf and, you know, and, and uh, AFL footy and, and horse racing and things like that, to have some other things that I could get away and think about and talk about and focus on, I think made, you know, cricket a lot easier because I wasn't going to bed thinking about, cricket 24 seven for, you know, 30 odd years of my life. You know, I had other things that I could, that I could focus on, but when it was time to, you know, as I say, put the help, put my helmet back on and put my game face back on, then, um, you know, I was able to do that. And I was able to switch back into that, you know, that almost that, that sort of um, competitive mode, if you like that. Um, and you only, you only have to do it for a few hours a day. That's the way that I look at it with cricket. You know, we, we're out in the middle batting and you're, now you might bat for six or seven hours, but it, and people always say, "Oh, how do you concentrate for that long?" Well, you're only ever concentrating for three or four seconds at a time. You know, you got to be able to switch yourself on and off, and 
I'm sure it's exactly the same on the golf course. You know, you hit one shot, you yeah. walk 50 metres to the next one, you've switched off in between and you you focus and get ready um, for the next shot. So it's, yeah, you know, selfish side of it. I mean, it, that, it has to be there at different times, but you, you certainly can't live your whole life that way. No, Jed, I agree. Jed, I agree with you. Jed's walking about 350 metres now though, Rick. That's a bit, <laughs> that's a bit of a difference. Maybe a bit yeah, longer, I'll, actually, Hazy. When you're 45, <laughs> you start getting the nearest part. <laughs> Rick, 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 I wanted to ask you when you go to those um, Sport Australia Hall of Fame functions and you're standing on a, you know, a dais with Dawn Fraser and um, you know Rob DeCastella and 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 400 Kathy Freeman, Sherelle McMahon. There's an unbelievable list of just legends. You must pinch yourself every time you get on that stage, despite what you've done yourself. So two things: how does that feel for you when you're among them, and two. What can you teach Jed about how that might feel for him in the future if that was where he uh, managed to reach? Yeah, um, yeah, Hazy. I mean, it's until you get there to that to that dinner for your for your induction. You, you know, it's something I'd never ever thought about. You know, I, I think a lot of the time you you're sort of comparing yourself and thinking about yourself only in your sport. You're not really thinking about all of sport in Australia. That's probably you know you're going back to Olympians and. All, all of those, you know, some of those names that you mentioned there. So here is here's me turning up as a, you know, as a, as an international cricketer, and then you and you you see the caliber of sports people that you're sort of starting to be associated with. It is, um, you know, it, it's it's ultra special, obviously. Um, but like Jed mentioned before as well, you know, I'd never really taken the time to think much about what the, the actual Sports Australia Hall of Fame would look like. You know, it's a, you, you you hear about it and you read about it and you see things about it but when you actually saw when, or when I actually saw all of those legendary you know Aussie sports people in the one room together uh, you know and up and be up on stage with them for the, for the induction was um, yeah it was one of those moments in the in your life that you you know look back on now and just you know makes you know, makes me proud of what I was able to do in my sport um, and I'm sure that you know with my, my, my family and everything that would be able to sit back and watch that that night as well I think they would have been ultra proud so Jed's got he's got something pretty special coming up what, what year were you inducted? Uh, that's a good question. Um, 2016, it might have been, I think. Yeah. Somewhere around four or five, yeah, four or five years ago. I'm, I'm not sure. Once, not once again, I'm not, big on, I'm not big on a lot of those <laughs> things. But these things come around and they, they are amazing things that happen in your life, but it's certainly not a thing that I would have ever thought would have happened or was, was a possibility to happen. But, you know, when you're old and retired, I, I think, you know, a lot of these things, you know, tend to, tend to pop up. Uh, we'll, let, we'll let everyone go in a moment. Uh, Jed, just just give us a sense. You know, it's all, all this relationship that you'll have with with Rick is 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 in the future, and it's about to. It's starting now, and what it becomes is unknown at this stage. I reckon you guys will probably become pretty good mates for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. Life. I don't know. What do, what are you what are you hoping to get out of this? What do you if you could? What do you want to? What do you hope hope happens as a result of this mentor program? Yeah, obviously, I think you hit the nail on the head sort of with the whole mate side of things. Um, I mean, we may not become best mates or anything, but like obviously hopefully we'll become decent mates to maybe even have a beer sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just keen to learn again. Like it's been such a, like through COVID, we haven't done a whole lot of learning and I miss that sense of travel um, and just constantly being in the position to learn. So having granted the opportunity now from the Hall of Fame to 
learn again for the next sort of year, being in touch with someone who's created and achieved heights that he probably never thought he'd be able to do. Um, and is constantly still achieving things that he's um, like, that are beyond what everyone thinks that are achievable as a human being and for a sport. So it's just something that I'm so excited to do. And yeah, as soon as I heard that he was going to be my mentor, it was, it was, I, could, I had a pretty big bloody smile. Yeah. So I just think I'm keen to create a lot of memories um, between the pair of us and whoever's involved in what we're about to do. So I'm pretty happy. Jed, do you happy. reckon? Do you reckon? Do you reckon you'll ever hear the end of it if, if Ricky beats you one round? Oh, he'll beat you. He'll oh, beat you. Yeah. I just can't let it happen, can I? Jed, mate, one thing: I'll probably never beat you, but you know what? I'm going to be trying bloody hard. <laughs> yeah. Someone was telling me. Someone was telling me. Um, They've never seen a more competitive side of you to when you're actually on the golf course. So. <laughs> yeah, most mate, most things I most things I do in life, I'm I'm pretty competitive. But but I think um, you know what that's exactly what I, what I want out of this, Jed is mate. I want to create a, a really good relationship where we're talking a lot and we have a chance to be able to share experiences. You know where where we, where we can have a you know we can have a we can have a beer together and a chat and a walk around the golf courses as often as we can. I mean that's um that's what I see as my role here is you know be, yeah. me being able to help you through um, certainly the first part of your, of your journey. Um, I, looking back, I, I wish I would, I could have had someone, you know, that, you know, that had been through what, um, what I'd been through helping me through the first part of my cricket journey. Cause I think it would have made life that little bit smoother, a little bit easier for me. So, um, and if it had been, if I'd have been approached by um, Bonnie or anyone from Starhoff about mentoring, any anyone in any sport, it would definitely be a young Aussie golfer. If it was a cricketer, I would have said no straight away. Um, <laughs> I'm much more interested in trying to help young young uh, young golfers out and talk about golf experiences at the moment and talking about cricket. But I think what we'll find, mate, I think we'll end up having having a lot of uh, similarities about um, where you're at and where I was at at the same age. And um, I think our career paths will probably end up heading in a pretty similar direction as well. So, um, yeah, that's all I want to be able to do, mate. To, the, the phone will always be there. The, the, the phone will always be open if you ever want to reach out and at any yeah. time and any day. Um, and when we do actually get face-to-face, -face, it'd, be, it'd, be, yeah, it'd be great just to sit down and have a beer together. That'd be good. Yeah, when Bonnie told me, I was um, pretty bloody happy, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, hey, Bonnie, thanks for letting us be part of this, Jed. All the best, mate. We've, uh, we've loved every part of your journey that we've been able to share with you and hear you discuss with us so far. We can't wait to see what the next 20, 30 years looks like. Rick, you're a busy man. Um, you've got a lot going on here, there and everywhere for you to do what you're doing. Uh, to, this is this is how you do put back in, I reckon. You do what you're doing over there in Delhi and you do what you do with your media and you do what you do you know, here, there and everywhere professionally. But this is a pretty special way of putting back in and um, I think I know you well enough to know that you can, you're probably going to have a pretty profound impact on this young fella's life, not just his golf. So it's a, it's a really, it's a great thing you're doing, mate. So, so good on you for making yourself available. No, look, I'm, I'm really excited about it, Marius. It's pretty much as soon as the request came through, um, I, I replied and responded pretty much straight away. It's um, something I'm excited about. And I mean, it's even part of the reason I'm still coaching now, like coaching the game of career. I, I just love being able to share little things that I, I think I might know about, about the game or about sports. So, um, you know, hopefully I can, uh, there's a few little drops of goodness in, in, in there somewhere that, uh, that Jed might be able to use through his career. Looking forward to it.
I'm sure Good there's luck. more than a few. Yeah, I reckon there will be, mate. Good luck, yeah, fellas. Maybe four three three. or four. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, uh, but that. That's that does you good in right where you live. I reckon it's been a, it's been a tough year and for a lot of people, you need a good story every now and again, and uh, that's a pretty good story. Ricky Ricky is um, he guards his time um, carefully, and he's a very private man. And um, for for him to be to see the merit in the program, and then to when he said you know, if it had if they had offered me a cricketer, I would have said no. Um, Give me a golfer, and I can't wait. I don't. You know Jed better than I do, and I probably know Ricky a bit better than you do. But but I reckon those two together, they're they're going to be lifelong friends. Those two fellas, they're going to enjoy each other's company, um, and I think they'll both get equal shares of um, of stuff out of that relationship. I, I, I can't wait to see from the little thing that we were part of just then uh, what big things come of that. It's going to be fun to watch. I cannot imagine a world where they don't hit it off because mm. as you saw, uh, as you heard rather, uh, Jed's fascinated by Ricky and what he's done and all that sort of stuff. He was so enamored. And I don't think it's spilling the secret too much, Andy, to let people know that when Ricky hung up to move on, uh, we stayed and talked to Jed and he became more of his normal bubbly <laughs> yes, self because he was yes. so in awe of Ricky, which is fantastic. But on the other hand, I, th- I really see, because Jed's such an engaging character and just a, a lovable young uh, rascal, that um, Ricky will be right in his wheelhouse in terms of... Mm. Ricky will actually get a lot out of playing golf with Jed too, which is not what it's about, but um, they'll be playing golf. And as, as they both said there, they both touched on just having a quiet beer at some stage. Once the first beer's uh, tipped south, Andy, that's a that's a friendship forged in... Um, well, I don't want to say in hops and... Week, but in it, golf. it's going to be it's in yeah. golf. It's going to be yeah. absolutely epic for a very long time. And I, I was really interesting. Great question that you asked about what prompted Ricky Ponting to, uh, or who who helped him come through. And the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, Andy, is is it's amazing uh, what they do and the 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 genuine stars they've got in these mentoring roles. Are unbelievable. I know Susie O'Neill, for example, has won this year and. There's just a whole heap of great names. Um, and they all hark back to this comment that Lane Beachley has made, um, which is about that classic cliche that we stand on the shoulders of others to be where we are today. And she says, and she, uh, mentoring is such an important part of every single one of our careers. All of us need someone to support us, provide us with guidance, um, and, and we're away, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing that last bit. But you couldn't, you know, Jed Morgan's got the best access to the best golf coaches in the world. He hasn't got a mentor who has made the second most runs in test cricket history under the fiercest pressure, under the most scrutiny uh, until now. And you can't ask for more than that, Andy. I mean, you know, it's just it's just a match made in heaven for, for us. Well, well Hazy, Ricky, as good a golfer as he is, and he's a you know, plus three, plus four player, like he's a genuinely good player, but as good a golfer as he is, he won't be, he won't help Jed Morgan fashion a better golf swing. He won't make him a better putter. He won't make him a better bunker player. But time spent, he's going to make him a better golfer. He's oh, yeah. going to make him a better golfer, which um, is what this is all about, you know. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's it's a great program. I was I was largely unaware of it to be honest. Um, and it's probably because the people who are doing it, the mentors, 
probably aren't doing it for... Well, in fact, I know in this case, they're not doing it for a look at me. They're doing it because they want to put back in. And that's the great thing about this, I reckon. 100%. And uh, <laughs> big shout to Glenn McGrath and you. I know he's a you know, very regular listener to this podcast. What a clip he got there from the great yeah, man. But- well, if anyone can hand it out, if anyone can, I don't think you and I are in a position to be handing out clips to G McGrath, but if anybody can, it's probably, uh, it's probably Ponting. I reckon I can get away with it. Um, so well done. And we look forward to that uh, evolving and bearing fruit down the track. Uh, we'll get a break out of the way. Gary Thomas, Golf WA CEO to join us after this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Great to have you on the show, Inside the Ropes. Spend a bit more time in a moment talking about that Ricky Ponting, Jed Morgan stuff. But Gary Thomas has been good enough to join us, the Golf WA CEO. Western Australia is the centrepiece of Australian golf at the moment. We're in the middle of the WA swing. Uh, the PGA held last weekend or last week at Kalgoorlie, and we head to Royal Frio for the WA Open this week. And it is a big fortnight for golf in the West. And the boss has been good enough to join us. G'day, Gary. Hi, Andy. How are you? We're going well, thank you. We're, we're all a bit delighted, I think. Those of us who have been following um, Jared Felton's career we're, we, with no um, ill feeling towards Brett Rumford or anyone else, of course, but we're, we like seeing these young blokes salute. And, and given what happened to him at Kalgoorlie last year in this event, the fact that he came back this year and did what he did, Gary, that was, um, that was a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, look, he's a, a good player, Jared, and he's uh, he obviously won the New South Wales Open, I think, a couple of years ago as well. Um, but he's he's sort of slowly building. Obviously, this year, as we all know, is very unique, and there's been no tournament golf for so long. So, but to come out and and shoot, particularly that score in the last round on uh, in Kalgoorlie last Saturday was a pretty impressive uh, feat. So, yeah, it was. It is good to see. I mean, Brett's have been a fantastic ambassador for golf throughout. You know, for Australian golfer around the world, and and really still supports um, Western Australian golf, but I'm sure he's also pleased that some of these younger guys are are, are beating him to the title. Um, I'm sure he would love to win as well, but I'm sure he's also deeply pleased that someone like Jared uh, stormed home and won it, won that event in Kalgoorlie last week. He doesn't give him away, Brett Rumford. He, he shot himself in the foot a bit, bit early in his round, but he didn't just wither on the vine. He came back. He uh, he made the young fella earn it. He's a, he's a tough competitor. Um, you know, you don't win six times on the European Tour if you haven't got some grit about you. And um, as you know, Brett's never been the longest player off off the tee, whatever. And it, but his short game has always been unbelievably great. Um, but he's got that inner inner ticker in him that he, he doesn't give it away, as you say. And so um, yes, he made the moon, which is what you want to do. You don't want to, I guess, coast to the line. Um, it's nice to win a tight one like that. And obviously, as we know, Jared shot what, five birdies pretty much in a row to, to win uh, that title. So, yeah, it was a good, great result. Mm. Gary, um, thanks for joining us, mate. I, I uh, want to ask you a question a little bit about the PJ, but rolling on now towards Royal Fremantle this week. It was great to see uh, Hayden Hopewell do so well and yeah. Connor Fuchs charge home as well on his home course out at Kalgoorlie just to continue yep. that run of great amateur play that you guys seem to have. And this week, again, it's a great opportunity for those kids against some, um, you know, as you say, established really good talent, but also for the girls as well. Um, you know, there's there's mm-hmm. a there's just a heap on offer this week at Royal Fremantle. 
Yeah, um, obviously Hayden's uh, done very well. He was so close to winning this event last year. Uh, Michael Sim hold a putt on the last to pick him by a shot after he'd been pretty much the top of the leaderboard all tournament. And then, you know, very good showing at the Australian Open. Um, we think he's going to be a very, very good player. His ball striking is uh, is fantastic. And I guess he's at his home track this week, and I'm sure he might feel a bit of pressure on that, but that's part of his development. Um, but our amateur field, we think, is pretty strong. Um, and as you say, Hazy, we've got uh, five girls in the field, four who, which got exemptions, and, you know, they're all pretty talented. Um and one thing that's, I'm not sure what's been happening around the rest of the country, but one thing that's come out of COVID uh, in our, what we call our packs and average events, which is the same as the Ivo Wittens, I suppose, in Victoria, is that uh, the packs and average have been the men's events and we've had the Ivy League Templar, which are the ladies' events. Quite a few clubs have actually allowed uh, the girls to play in the men's packs and average events this year, and Kirsten Rudsley's performed pretty well in those. Um, I suppose behind our state amateur, our most important amateur event would be the City of Perth, which is run by Royal Perth Golf Club. And um, she actually qualified for the match play in that, the final 16, and won her first match. Uh, so got into the final eight. So she's been in pretty good form. And I think playing against the men, um, and we've been doing this for quite a while, I know the Vic Open's been a massive success, uh, but we've been inviting some of our leading female amateurs to play against the men in this event since 2012 when we first invited Minji Lee to play. And I think it really helps in their development. Um, They'll be playing off the same tees as the men. Um, So it will be a real test for them to see how they go, not only against the pros, but against the other, other amateurs in the field. And just one last on that, um, Maddie Hinson-Tolchard, who's going back to the scene of the crime that she uh, perpetrated a few weeks ago with that new course record out at Royal Fremantle. Yes. I know she'd be off a slightly different tee, but um, she's got to be feeling good about her chances too of, of knocking out a good score on a, on a course that she obviously loves. Yeah, and look, she's been informed. She had a you know, pretty good result in Kalgoorlie as well last week. Um, and as you say, shot that fantastic score in Royal Fremantle a few weeks ago. Um yeah, look, it's, uh, you know, obviously the COVID thing means she's here. She should have been in the States at college, um, but she's chosen to stay here for a while because of that. So, um, yeah, so it'd be great to see her tee it up, and um, I'm sure she will give a very good account of herself, as will the other, other five ladies in the field. Gary, what sort of local media coverage um, are these two events getting? Um well I, well, I had a board meeting last night, so I'm not sure, but I believe there was a story on Channel 9 last night on our local news. Yep. Um, I think yep. that was the case. Um, we've, uh, we get good support from uh, another community radio station here in Perth um, who will cover it, will broadcast live from the event on Friday all day and um, we'll give a good coverage of that. Um, it's pretty hard in the TV world to get anyone to come out now and, and televise these events. Um, you guys would know all the, all the reasons for all of that. Um, yep. We do get we get great support from our newspapers, I must say. I, I, I do, obviously, over the years, have talked with my fellow CEOs in other states and what coverage they get in their respective papers. And it must be said that the West Australian here and our Sunday Times do give us very good coverage of golf. Um, so we're very happy with what they give us. And I know that uh, Mitchell Woodcock from the, the West will be out all week sitting at our desk and covering it for us and putting articles in the paper. So I think we get a pretty good deal for an event that's our size. I think we get a, a pretty good um, run at it compared to maybe what other states do. Obviously, we'd like it a little bit more. Look, um, 
one thing will help us is uh, none of the football teams over here are in the finals any longer, so there won't be front and back page uh, plastered all over with the footy teams. Um, so that'll help us to a bit. Um, a few years ago when we had this event in May, we were actually up on the summer against Eagles and Collingwood, so we got nothing at that time. So uh, I'm sure we'll get a reasonable amount of coverage. And, and obviously we're doing all the social media uh, campaigns, etc. as well. So um, it'll be... In this unique year, it'll be interesting to see how many people we get out to watch. Um, we normally get a yeah. very solid crowd, but uh, this year it's all a bit different. And um, yeah, a lot of people haven't seen live sports, so hopefully we're going to get a very good crowd to come out and watch some terrific live golf. We've seen a lot from the other side of the the country, Gary, about uh, you know how how the the premier is dealing with things, uh, and you know it mm. seems to be. Uh, from afar at least it seems to be having a fair bit of traction and support in the community i'm assuming Mm. that the golf community has rallied the same way just you know you guys have got a strong community anyhow but um i'm Mm. assuming they're as strong as ever yeah look um we've been very fortunate and we acknowledge that compared to other parts of the country the golf never shut down in wa um there was a period for one under the um, directions that you could only play sport, recreation as an individual. So uh, quite a few golf clubs said, well, if people are going to play in ones that will um, will shut the course down. And some did that for only a matter of days. Some might have done it for a week or two. But then quickly the rules changed. And then you could play, do any sport, whether it's cycling or golf, whatever it was, back in pairs. And obviously we, then it moved to fours. So we've been very fortunate from that point of view. And what I think the rest of the country, and we know obviously it's a sad situation in Victoria at the moment, but golf is just booming. It's um, Golf courses are full. Uh, that's uh, private clubs and the public facilities. Membership has increased because what's happened, a lot of people couldn't play football and kids' sport got cancelled and all those sort of things. So a lot of people took up golf and the support of the golfing community towards their, their pro shops and all that and to their clubs has been... Absolutely amazing. Um, so it's been good for us, um, and we think that'll continue for a little while. And clearly, with the borders being closed um, and people can't travel, what we're finding in state, of course, what we're finding is people are travelling within Western Australia and playing um, country golf courses. Um, we recently ran an RV tour event for the first time as a, as a bit of a pilot stem, and that was terrific, and we'll expand on that next year. But, you know, just jumped in their RVs and played three or four different clubs in the Eastern West Belt. Um, <laughs> so it's been terrific. Gary, you, you focus That's mostly awesome. on, that, you know, what's happening domestically, obviously, for you over there, but I'm sure you've yeah. probably got a national view. What's the most... Imp- could you identify one thing as being the most important... Um, the most important thing confronting golf in Australia at the moment. Have you, have you got a, have you got a, a, a view and a, or a, or a, an answer to that? Well, I think uh, out of out of COVID, I, I believe a lot of golf bodies nationally and statewide and even club level will probably have a reset about what they're about. I think one of the things I'm finding is that a lot of people have getting back to core business. I think the immediate problem for a lot of golf clubs and in, in, uh, in the industry now is going to be retaining these people that have come into the game. Um, we know that golf has membership has declined you know, about 1% per annum on average for the last 20 years thereabouts. Um, but we've been given, I suppose, in a, 
in a perverse way, a bit of a boost. So the thing that I think is the great challenge now is how do we keep these people in the sport? We've been crying out to get them into the sport. Now we've got them. How do we now keep them? How do golf clubs retain these members? And what do we do nationally? And I had a chat with David Galuccio from GA yesterday about it and expand on this in the next couple of weeks is, you know, what are we going to do as a as a cohesive body around the country to to retain the people that come into the sport and also I suppose the other thing is a lot of members who've been used to playing for three, four, five times a week are probably now playing only getting two or three games in. So how do we keep all those people happy? So I think in the short term that's the big thing is about how do we retain the people in the sport. Clearly I think maybe this is what you get into um, Andy is that down the track is the one golf issue and where that takes us and um, we obviously know that us in New South Wales have not been part of that um, uh, we've never said we're out, we've just never been in um, and we just obviously are working with golf and one thing I think that's come out of COVID for us and I'm sure I speak for Stewie Fraser at New South Wales and hats off to Robert Armour and Dave Galuccio is that the communication between golf Australia and us in New South Wales has uh, been very, very good. You know, I've obviously had to work together through all this COVID period, but a lot of the communication channels have been fantastic, and, and I'm sure that will continue under James. Uh, so we look forward to developing um, that, and, and we'll see where the, the one golf thing goes. I mean, I think there's no doubt we all believe that we need to work together. I think it's just the, the mechanics of it that need to be yeah, sorted sure. out in the next couple of years. Gary, can uh, can can the boss put a tip on the table for Royal Fremantle this week, or is it bad form? <laughs> um, gamble responsibly. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, look, I um, the people at Royal Fremantle believe, and I don't want to put pressure on. Think Oliver Goss is a really good chance. I mean, the power, look, Ollie's doing his bridging course. At, Fremantle now, and but he's playing beautifully, um, and he's round his home track, which he knows very well. Uh, he could be—I wouldn't say you know—a bit of a roughy, but he might be in the mix. Um, Jared's in form, um, and Daniel Fox always plays well around Royal Fremantle, as we know he won it five years ago. Um, it, It's—you don't have to be long. I mean, a lot of our golf courses aren't overly long. I think there's about six thousand one hundred metres, but it's quite. So not necessarily a lot of run. I mean, the course is just looking magnificent. Um, I, I do believe it'll be a tight finish. Um, but I think if you looked at Kalgoorlie last week, those you know, half a dozen eight people towards the top of the leaderboard will be in the mix again. And I think Hayden Hopewell will give a very good show of himself. Some good names you've bowled up there, Gary. If they're all in the mix, well, um, there'll be a, a great deal of interest around the country to see who sticks their nose in front um, when mm. the final putt is hold, mate. Um, Thanks for joining us. There's a there's a lot going on around the world. It's it is as you said a couple of times a very strange time, particularly over in this neck of the woods for the game of golf. We'll all come out of it hopefully sooner rather than later and get back yeah. to doing what we're doing. But all of our eyes are on um, Royal Freo this week. Good luck. Hopefully you have a great event and um, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Ozzy. All the best. Gary Thomas, Golf WA CEO, joining us. Uh, back to wrap up the show after this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Uh, almost done and dusted. Great to have you with us. Just something we need to follow up with Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas at some stage down the track. He mentioned that RV tour thing oh. on the way through there, and we didn't have time to 
dive in, but I reckon there's a good chat around what that is and what it actually looks like. It sounds just in the in the imagination of the thing. It sounds like a great event to be part of. Uh, look, I've got. I think everyone who listens to this show knows that I love WA, and I, um, you know, that's just to me. And I'm assuming most Easterners, in inverted commas, have got a some sort of inkling to want to get across and explore a bit of the West to oh, do yeah. it around a golf tournament and, you know, to go to some of the great sand green courses or, you know, just hook in Margaret River or Albany or Geraldton or Broome or wherever it is you want to go. Geez, that's got a lot of merit in my mind. Here, here. Uh, so there's a couple of little bits and pieces we need to get stuck into. Um, earlier on in the show, <clears throat> excuse me, we were talking about um, the hoodies being worn by Tyrrell Hatton. We really didn't do a wrap-up of what happened in that tournament and around the world from an Australian perspective. So we should probably just quickly whip our way through what did take place around the world, given the fact we're talking yeah. about the hoodies, even though it's not the headline event, the Women's PGA Championship was. But Tyrrell Hatton won it. He's been one of our favourites for a while, Hazy. We've enjoyed the emotions and the emotional honesty of... Tyrrell Hatton is a player for a long time. He's genuinely world class now, and um, that was a, that was another big feather in his cap. Yeah, one in uh, the US this year, and and you know he's got his emotions a bit more in check. I don't think he'll ever have them completely under control, and we wouldn't want him to. But he was um, an all the way winner. Basically, it was fantastic golf at Wentworth, uh, arguably the home of English golf, Andy, and definitely the biggest tour, um, event on that tour outside the race to Dubai now. But, um, yeah, phenomenal. 19 under, that course is extraordinary. One by four shots, a leg in the air, really. Big shout to Scott Hend, who yeah, yeah. Um, just just one of the great world golf travellers, Scott Hend. And, and uh, he wanted desperately, apparently, to play the Scottish Championship that's being played uh, around St Andrews this week, mm. uh, but forgot to enter. So he needed a top 10 finish at Wentworth, and lo and behold, he got it. So he started at 68 in the last round to roar through the field and get to minus 10, tied for 10th. And the other Aussie to make the cut uh, was Wade Ormsby. Um, Again, peculiarly, um, although twice recently he's had a bad final round, uh, 76, but um, not like him to not cash in when he gets the opportunity, Wade. So that's um, disappointing from, from his perspective, I'm assuming. But... Uh, you know his consistency is really impressive. Um, I was I was a bit surprised to see Scrivener and Minwoo Lee talking of West Australians, um, not more prominent, but I'm sure mm. they uh, they've got brighter things ahead of them here. Um, Hannah Green's going to have it was a I mean she shot herself in the foot in the opening round of her defence of the PJ title, but her. Second round, it, it's noteworthy what she did. She's facing, you know, weekend oblivion. She's probably going to, she's probably odds, long odds against making the cut after shooting 79 in the first round. And to come out and shoot 66 and you know, then follow up a third round 72 with a 67, she never really got, she never got in a hunt. But um, says a bit about her, I reckon, that she, she dug in and, you know, this was something that, the turning point in her life and, you know, she stuck at it. There was a, it was a pretty plucky effort by her. Yeah, Justin Falconer, our, our very own, did a great tweet on uh, on Monday morning, I think it was, of all the people who finished 79 or worse on day one at Aronimink, mm. uh, the, the others finished, missed the cut, obviously, but tied 122nd, tied 124th, tied 126th, and tied 127th. Yeah, there right. were three. There were seven of them. Um, 
Hannah Green finished tied 23rd. <laughs> it's it's actually yeah. testament to her ticker because she could have turned it up and said, you know, well, it's got the better of me this week. Tough course, dirted her, but she didn't have a bar of that. And uh, I think just briefly at the start of the third round, she might have thought she'd get back into it. But say Young Kim obviously blew the field apart from that point on. Um, but yeah, testament to, to Hannah Green, Andy, as you say. Um, not a bad result from... Um, Minji Lee and Catherine Kirk, but on the on the final round. But before that, they'd sort of disappointed, particularly in the third round. So T23 for Hannah Green, T54 for Catherine Kirk, and T58, a bit of a surprise for Minji Lee there. But mm. we probably should focus on, say, young Kim, who, with only seven or eight people under par, um, broke all sorts of records, Andy. Um, had never won a major championship was the winningest, I hate that word, but the winningest player on the LPGA tour without a major win. Mm-hmm. Put that to bed in style. She was three over after about 21, 22 holes um, on the second round of the tournament. Um, and then to finish 14 under when everyone else is battling just shows you what she did. Just phenomenal goal for 29 on the front nine there on the, on the Friday and, and just lit it up on the final round when challenged by no less a player than Inby Park too. So, you know, if you want someone chasing you in world golf, Inby Park's not the one you want. So, say young Kim, congrats. Um, probably a little overdue um, in, in terms of a major, but um, that's just desserts for a really good player. Um, elsewhere, what's what jumped off the page? Coletta was our best on the Corn Ferry. Rod Pampling again, the old fellas, Cam Smith was our best on the PGA Tour. No, nothing terribly remarkable around the place. Good to see Brett Coletta playing some golf. I mean, it's, that's, that's, he's had a couple of weeks that he'd probably prefer to f- forget, I imagine, but, but he looks like he's turning the thing around a bit. Yeah, I definitely think so. And, you know, it's, again, we talk about how hard it is on that tour, Andy, to, uh, to get a big paycheck. And Brett Coletta with rounds 60. How's this, Andy? 65, 68, 71, 64. And he's finished tied fifteenth. I mean, yeah. it's it's ridiculous. That's sixteen under, and he's he's seven behind the winner Trey Mullinax, who's a really good player. Um, on the as you mentioned, Cam Smith um, was there and thereabouts for a while. But again, some of the scores that they peeled off at at Nevada in the on the PGA Tour, Smith a pair of seventies split by sixty three, sixty six in the middle was um, fifteen under, which is a good return to form for him, but. Uh, Martin Laird at 23 under in a playoff after he was joined by Matt Wolf, who had a lazy 61, Andy. If so, you don't you mind. Know, yep. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's it's incredible there. I just want to mention a guy who we don't often talk about. We've had him on before, Craig uh, Hocknell, who mm. um, I'm really I feel really sad for him to be honest because he's he's had rounds 69 and 70. He was three under and that wasn't good enough to make the cut. He's a um, an Australian who's a club pro over there and qualified through this event, and I was hoping that he might be able to sneak through and and uh, you know get something in terms of um, you know being able to play again, earn, earn himself some rights to play again. But nevertheless, uh, a good achievement there. And the only other one of of note, Andy, um, was as we touched on before with the uh, with Gary Thomas, as the WA PGA Championship and the winning trio there I suppose Jared Felton was 13 under Brett Rumford charged back at him uh, 12 under late uh, Daniel Fox 7 Braden Becker was 6 after being prominent for most of the tournament 
and uh, Daniel Hope was fifth. And I, I, I really did want to reiterate how good a performance Hayden Hopewell turned in there. Mm. I think he's really mm. starting to make his mark and he's only a young fella. Another one for the Black Book, Andy. Oh, no, he's a good player. We saw him at the, I think we might, a couple of years ago at the Australian Open. He uh, caught our eye uh, at um, at the Australian. And I think, I think we all got started to get a bit excited about what might line. Uh, wait for that young man. So we'll keep an eye on him. Um, Anything else before we? I know the uh, Kepera bowls on. We'll, we'll we'll wrap that up next week. I'm sure that'll be one of our focus points next, on next week's show, which you're having a little hiatus from. I am having a bit of a hiatus next nice. week. Uh, I just want to mention quickly, Andy. We do this each week, but I really want to reiterate to people the fantastic beginner programs, My Golf, and Get Into Golf. Um, the Golf Australia is running now. My Golf. Um, for kids age 5 to 12 term 4 is just underway uh, probably not too late to get involved so just reach out via the website there golf.org.au forward slash mygolf um, and similarly golf.org.au forward slash get into golf is the adult programs and they've each separate programs now have got um, categories for, for women or for girls um, for all abilities golfers uh, all different categories that make it possible for you to, to join in. And I, I really encourage people to get involved if they've ever thought about it. As Gary Thomas said there, there's a lot of work going on in the background now to make it more uh, approachable. Um, and you can wear your hoodie. If anyone says you can't there wear you your hoodie, Andy, just tell them there to call me and I'll talk to them. Right, good work. Uh, that's it for another episode of Inside the Ropes. Uh, great to have you with us. Uh, 185 done and dusted. Back next week to do it all again. Enjoy your week in golf wherever you might be.